The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Sendo. For more information, visit villagesendo.org. So welcome everyone to our monthly Fusatsu atonement ceremony. How many of you have never done a Fusatsu ceremony before? Yeah, several of you actually. Okay, that's great. You're, you're fortunate. Uh, it's totally fresh and new. And uh, the instruction for this is just throw yourself into it. And uh, you don't have to know anything. You can just just totally engage with whatever's coming up. And uh, this ceremony is really uh, about completely engaging with everything in your life. That's what our practice is about. That's what the ceremony is about. Um, So we begin our, our atonement ceremony chanting the verse of atonement, all evil karma ever committed by me since of old on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance, born of my body, mouth, and thought, now I atone for it all. I think that uh, when many of us, I think I've said this before, but when many of us come to um, spiritual practice, um, we're looking for some kind of relief from the suffering in our life. And we often think that there is going to be a magical solution uh, to our problems. So maybe it's a magical transcendence or a magical um, leap that we're gonna give or uh, some kind of tricky way of bypassing our troubles. Um, But uh, after we practice for a while, we realize that's not what our practice offers us. That's not what it promises. And this verse of atonement actually indicates there's a completely different way of engaging with our life wholly and completely. And that is not transcending or bypassing our our suffering and our karma, but going straight through it, engaging with it fully and totally openly as we do in this, in this ceremony. So it's another way, another way of going about things. So I said, uh, I gave a Fusatsu talk a couple of months ago And I talked about um, fusatsu and our practice as a way of nourishing our karma. Not getting rid of karma somehow magically, but uh, nourishing it, uh, cultivating wholesome karma and um, not engaging in unwholesome karma. When we say evil karma in the verse, we really mean actions that create that do harm or create suffering. So nourishing our karma is actually what we need to do. 
And then last month, Ryotan Roshi gave the Fusatsu talk and he said, actually what this ceremony about is clearing our karma. But actually I think it's the same thing that when we nourish uh, our karma, uh, we also clear our karma. And when we clear our karma, we also nourish our karma. So there's a, uh, a Zen story, a koan that engages very um, centrally with what I'm talking about here. Um, some of you will know it's a famous story. It's Hakujo's fox or Baijong's fox. And the story goes that long ago, Baijong, Master Baijong was the abbot of a monastery. And he would give his Dharma talks and he would notice there was always an old man who would come and take a seat at the back of the assembly. And usually after the talk, he would, he would wander off and disappear. But one time he came up to Baijong afterwards and he told his story and he said that a long, long time ago, I used to be the abbot at this monastery. And the student asked me, does one who practices completely fall into causality, meaning do you fall into the, uh, all of the flux and flow and ups and downs of karmic relations, cause and effect? And he answered, no, that one who practices completely does not fall into causality. And then he continued, he told Baizan, because of my answer, I was reborn as a fox for 500 lives. And he says to Baijong, please master, give me some turning words to help free me from this ongoing transmigration. And he asks Baijong, does one who practices completely fall into causality or not? And Baijong responded, he does not ignore causality, does not ignore causality. And when the old man heard that, he had an opening and he was released and free. And then he, he thanked Baijong and said, uh, you've now released me and I just uh, beg of you to please um, uh, carry out a memorial service for me. He said, if you go around the back of the mountain behind this one rock, you'll find the body of a fox. And please, please carry out the funeral services uh, that you would for an ordinary monk. So Baijong uh, had the memorial bells rung at the monastery and all the other monks looked around and said, hmm, what's going on? They didn't see anybody missing, no one had died. But Baijong uh, led the assembly around the back of the mountain behind this one rock. And there, sure enough, they found the body of the fox. They cremated it and carried out all of the memorial procedures. And then that evening, Baijong gave his talk and explained what had happened with the old man, the whole story. And um, uh, one of the uh, monks in the assembly um, 
the very uh, brilliant monk who would go on to be uh, a great teacher himself said to Bai Zhang, so what if he had um, given the correct answer to the question, what then? He challenges Bai Zhang to express the truth of not ignoring causality right then and there. And Bai Zhang said, come up here and I'll show you what it is. And so this, this great monk approached the master's seat, but before the master could strike him, he struck Bai Zhang. And Bai Zhang burst out in laughter and clapped his hands. And he said, I thought that the uh, foreign barbarians had red beards, but you also have a red beard. So that's a reference to uh, Bodhidharma who was who brought Buddhism from India to China, the foreigner who had the red beard. And he's essentially um, comparing this monk to Bodhidharma for his insight. So there are a couple of things about this story um, that I think are important. And the first one is just what I was saying at the beginning about our verse of atonement, and that is, um, our verse of atonement is about acknowledging our karma. It is about uh, taking responsibility for our karma and being atoning for our karma in the sense of being at one with, atoning as being at one with. And not ignoring causality is uh, not separating from it, not denying causality, and acknowledging that uh, one is one with it, not ignoring it. The other thing is that I think that Bai Zhang and his disciple give us a great example of what it is uh, to play freely in the fields of karma and causality. They play freely. Come here and I'll show you. Black. Ha ha. And a big clap. Not ignoring causality and engaging fully with their lives in that moment. Um, I also mentioned when I spoke a couple of months ago, um, that at the end of his teaching career, the great Japanese teacher Dogen uh, wrote a number of texts about karma and causality and the precepts and, um, and I thought this was very interesting. Um, and I wondered why, what that was about. Um, and so I'm still thinking about that and wanna think about it with you. Um, in some ways it seemed like Dogen was, uh, Dogen's teaching shifted in a significant way here. Um, much of Dogen's career, he had talked about um, non-duality, the teaching of non-duality 
the teaching of Buddha nature or original enlightenment. And in this late phase, he, um, he seems to, to put all of that aside. And he even criticizes other teachers uh, for their, their emphasis on emptiness and on original enlightenment and uh, Buddha nature. He said even about the teachers in China, the single greatest limitation of the monks of Song China today is that even leading teachers do not recognize that negating causality is a false teaching. So um, he, he seems to be suggesting that um, the teaching of non-duality, of Buddha nature, of um, original enlightenment is, can be dangerous for us. That um, we can fall into a kind of complacency and carelessness. If we, if we think, oh yeah, I've got original nature, I've got Buddha nature, I've got original enlightenment, basically why, why bother practicing? This was actually uh, Dogen's first great question from the time he was a young man. If we all have Buddha nature, why, why even practice? So in a way, at the end of his career, he's still confronting that, that question. And um, he seems to be saying, I think, that um, if we all think that um, basically deep down it's all hunky-dory, we can just sort of kick back and it's, everything's okay. You know? um, I just, uh, you know, uh, if, if I have Buddha nature, then, I, then I'm free to do um, anything in a given moment. And that will be the expression of Buddha nature, my original enlightenment. So I think Dogen was, um, was troubled by that implication. Um, and hence he was emphasizing the fact that we can't, we can't assume that there is some kind of self that is fixed, permanent, lasting, and um, and that instead, uh, reality, our reality in our life is constantly changing, subject to causes and conditions, constantly changing with circumstance and our interrelationships with one another. So uh, the scholars don't really know for sure about this, his, these late teachings. Dogen even prepared a very short version of the Treasury of the True Dharma I, the Shobo Genzo, this compilation of his teachings. Uh, there are nearly a hundred of the fascicles, the texts that go into the treasury, but he prepared a reduced version with only 12 pieces. And in these 12 pieces, he emphasized these teachings on karma and causality and, and precepts. Um, so some members of the Zen uh, establishment think, oh, you know, Dogen was consistent throughout his life and th these late 
teachings are really not different or inconsistent with anything else. Um, but there's another school that thinks actually this involved a major shift in his thinking. And it happened right after he had gone to Kamakura at the invitation of the Shogun. He had previously rejected invitations from, to go and teach the Shogun, maintaining the purity of the monastery, not getting involved in the secular world. But this was 1247. Uh, he's gonna die five or six years later. He accepts the invitation to go. And he's there for six months. And it seems that initially uh, he's, things are going well. Um, the Shogun is clearly interested in Buddhism. And we know that eventually the Shogun would ordain as a monk himself, which is interesting. But, uh, but apparently in the end, it did not go well. He went back to his monastery at Aheji. And the, uh, those who think that this is a major shift suspect that what might've happened is that Dogen found that the Shogun really just wanted Buddhism and the teachings of Buddha nature as a way to, to affirm himself and to affirm his life without really taking responsibility for his evil karma, for all of the actions that he'd taken that caused suffering and harm to others. Um, and so this, this speculation is that Dogen found this unsettling and he felt the need to, to push back against a kind of static and complacent uh, teaching that could lead to careless behavior and a lack of real moral and ethical reckoning with one's life. And hence, he, he put this, this emphasis, uh, he, he gave this other emphasis. Repentance, in other words, this Fusatsu ceremony is sometimes referred to as a repentance ceremony. And, uh, Perhaps what Dogen felt was that the emperor was not really willing to repent um, of his misdeeds. Dogen said, um, after he got back, um, sorry, he, on this point, Dogen said, people who practice virtue will improve and those who produce unwholesomeness will decline. So everyone should clarify causes and experience results. And I think that that's what we're here for tonight. Uh, the folks who have put this um, emphasis on a shift in Dogen's teaching also, uh, they're known as the critical Buddhists and they have insisted on this point as a way to criticize the Soto Zen establishment and hierarchy for some of the um, uh, misdeeds of the Soto Zen school, particularly its um, uh, approval of militarism during World War II, and also its uh, acceptance of forms of discrimination within Japanese society, particularly towards outcasts. So there is, a, there is a kind of social justice component to this, to this view that 
we cannot be so complacent as just to kick back and resting in our Buddha nature, imagine Buddha nature, and that we have a moral responsibility to look at cause and effect, the, the consequences of our actions and the harm that, uh, harm that they cause individually in our personal lives, but also socially um, in our society as a whole. So Dogen returned to the monastery after six months in Kamakura and he addressed the assembly and he said, how many errors have I made in my efforts to cultivate the way? Today, I deeply regret that I stand here like a water buffalo. Uh, the translator says that's a water buffalo is a symbol of stubbornness. Gone for more than half a year, I was like a solitary wheel placed in vast space. Now that I've returned to the mountains, the monks are full of joy. And my appreciation of this beautiful landscape is greatly enhanced. And I hear that as Dogen doing his own repentance and his own atonement. So um, one way to work with our evil karma and um, that we have in our practice are the precepts. And the precept that I wanted to touch on tonight is the seventh grave bodhisattva precept, which is the precept of not elevating oneself and disparaging others. And I thought of this because I, I was thinking about um, what the, the, the former abbot of the monastery had said. He might have been thinking that as one who practiced for a long time and felt like he had complete practice, that he was uh, perhaps in some ways um, not falling into karma like everybody else, like any ordinary being. Perhaps he had a sense of his practice as special, elevating him vis-a-vis -vis in relation to others. And that too might have been what tripped him up. And so uh, I think this is something that we can look at in terms of our own practice. Does it give you some kind of special standing vis-a-vis -vis everyone else? We have to be careful about things like that. Or some of you who sat on retreat will know that when you, when you practice intensively, it, it does change you. Uh, you. There is a kind of freedom. Uh, there is a kind of flow that emerges uh, just from practicing intensively for a while, say on a retreat. And it's very easy to just flow with that and think that everything's cool and uh, be a little careless and do what you please, because it all, it all seems to be, all seems to be right with the world. Those are very dangerous moments. Those are the moments when we actually need to, to take care. Not to uh, elevate ourselves and discourage others. And of course, elevating ourselves and disparaging others is something that we see going on all the time, not just in our own life, but in our wider society. And um, the political discourse uh, in this country is uh, 
fundamentally based on, on this uh, practice of elevating oneself and disparaging others. And as we head into a new election cycle already, you can see it all gearing up again, dragging down everyone else in order to boost yourself. And it is so dispiriting to see, you know, just makes you wanna take a psychic shower or something. Um, and maybe we engage in it ourselves in, in political discourse, but our precept can help us to, to be careful with that. Uh, when we do that, we are setting up a kind of uh, dualistic view of things, separation between self and other, uh, which is very shallow. Not that there aren't differences of opinion, there in, are indeed. And yet uh, we have to be aware of those differences with a, with a deeper awareness of the fact that uh, ultimately we are not separate and ultimately we are equal. So there are uh, a few different commentaries on this seventh precept. Um, Bodhidharma, the first Zen ancestor in China said, self-nature is subtle and mysterious in the realm of the equitable Dharma, not dwelling upon I against you is called the precept of not praising yourself while abusing others. So ultimately he's saying the Dharma is, is one of equality the equitable dharma. It's not that we're all one in the sense that we're just, this is all just one big cosmic mush, right? Uh, but that each phenomenon and each being is um, equal to every other being and every other, excuse me, every other phenomenon. And so not dwelling upon I against you is the key. Not that we can't say that there are differences, but not dwelling on I against you, not indulging in that separation and not holding fast in, in a rigid way to that separation. And then Dogen Zenji commented on this precept. He said, Buddhas and ancestral teachers realize the empty sky and the great earth when they manifest the noble body there is neither inside nor outside in emptiness. When they manifest the Dharma body, there is not even a bit of earth on the ground. And here it sounds like it's, it is the teaching of, of uh, non-duality, the empty sky and the great earth with neither inside nor outside. But um, he's pointing to um, something important here that Buddhas and ancestors manifest the noble body. They manifest the Dharma body. And uh, each one of us has to do that. Each one of us has to manifest the noble body and the Dharma body in our lives, engaging with our lives wholly and completely. It's like uh, manifesting your original face. You can't uh, just get lost in the empty sky and just get lost 
in the great earth. You have to engage your life totally and manifest your original face and manifest your noble body and manifest your Dharma body. The Zen peacemakers said about this precept, speaking what I perceive to be the truth without guilt or blame, this is the precept of not elevating oneself and blaming others. To speak what I perceive to be the truth without guilt or blame. That's actually not a dualistic way to be. It's simply to express oneself um, without falling into this trap of uh, of uh, putting others down. To express yourself from your own Dharma position vis-a-vis everyone else in their own Dharma positions. There's a kind of cleanness and uh, integrity to that, which is very different from the kind of uh, discourse that we're used to in in the political world, or just in our normal beefs and, and, and arguments with our family members or partners or maybe with ourselves. So, engaging with our lives wholly and completely is what what we're here to do. Nourish our karma and clear our karma at the same time. That's what we can do in this ceremony and in every activity in our lives. not denying causality and not ignoring our karma. That's what we're doing here tonight in this ceremony we can do in every one of our activities. Living the precepts, being the precepts. So uh, Baijong and his disciple, they did it. They showed us how to do it with a slap and a laugh, a clap. We can do it right now tonight with our bowing and chanting, throwing ourselves completely into this ceremony and every activity in our life. Thank you. <laughs>